Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodman, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer and artist and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field. If you've been listening to this podcast or are new to it, I thank you very much. I would also appreciate if you took a moment to follow it on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. This interview marks a first for Writers of the Future and for this podcast. Galaxy Press is recording, editing, and publishing a Writers of the Future audiobook for the first time. Today's guests are Jim, Tamer, and Taylor Meskimen, the talent for this audiobook. Jim is an actor, comedian, and impressionist who is best known for his voiceover work in video games. His IMDb page has 292 entries, some of which include Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Thundercats, Parks and Recreation. I'm not sure if I saw it on there. The Jib Jabs, This Land is Your Land. Is that on there too? So Somewhere down there. That's when I first like, fell in love with all your voices. With 11 more soon to be released. Tamara is likewise an actor, comedian, and impressionist who established an improv company devoted to improvising one-act plays, the Really Spontaneous Theater Company, and co-founded an acting school, the Acting Center, where she teaches and performs. Taylor, their daughter, is also an actor accomplished in improv, dance, song, and film. She's been performing for over a decade at venues throughout Los Angeles when she hasn't been in recording studios, narrating over 100 audiobooks, including Riverdale, Ender's Game Alive, and Midnight Sun. Welcome, Jim, Tamara, and Taylor. Thank you, John. Hey, John. Thanks. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks for coming into the, the comfort of our home to do this interview <laughs> with us. And I guess to reciprocate, thank you for inviting me into the comfort of your home and this amazing <laughs> coffee with the... Handmade or ground, or if you stomped it with your spite-covered <laughs> shoes, almond milk, Tamara. You're welcome, John. It's really good. <laughs> so first off, I'm obviously fascinated with the three of you as a family. Uh, you're incredibly talented, successful. You're all great friends. Who I have known of since the release of Mission Earth in the mid-'80s because you were dressing up and doing events mm -hmm. in New York, and that was, that was pretty cool. And was that the really spontaneous improv theater? Was that in New York? That was in New York. There was National Improvisational Theater where Jim and I did hundreds, hundreds of improv shows. Is that where you met or yeah. did you already know each other? When we you knew each other in high school. We knew each other in high school. And I got her to move out to New York when we were in our 20s, early 20s. That's right. Uh, and uh, we knew each other in high school. We did a play together. She was more involved in theater than I was. Uh, we weren't boyfriend and girlfriend or anything like that, but we knew each other very well. We knew, had all the same pals. And then uh, later on, I came back to Los Angeles to visit after I'd moved to New York and fell in love. And I eventually got her to move out and, and spend her entire life with me so far. We're going to celebrate 36 years of marriage next week. Good. And Taylor, where were you then when they were in New York? So I was actually not even in the U.S. <laughs> Fine. Okay. It's a longer story. We'll do it in another. Okay, good. Maybe. <laughs> All right. So then, so like I said, then you, like you just said, you moved to Los Angeles. Now, my first recollection of working with you in person was a release of I Pedrito for which um, you, Jim, were the narrator. At least that's what it says on my little stuff. You think you were the director, maybe the director and the narrator, whatever, is either the D word or the N word of the audiobook with over a dozen other actors. And the best part of it for me, at least at that release event, was an improv that you did with uh, Christopher Smith. Ah, and, um, sounds right. 
Yeah, and it was there, and we were That's trying the to record. the thing you've said all day. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just, it was hilarious. The, the people trying to film it were just kept on laughing. It was just so funny, you guys. Yeah, we did a lot of improv back in the day, and I loved working with Christopher. And Christopher is one of the co-founders of the Acting Center at uh, Tamara's school. So yeah, he's just. You still he's, see him all the time. Yeah, he's, he's brilliant. Brilliant. And then the following year, you and Tamara were both actors in the audiobook, A Very Strange Trip, another mm-hmm. uh, story. Mm-hmm. Uh, from a screenplay that Owen Hubbard wrote that was then uh, novelized by a dear, a dear friend who since passed, um, Dave Overton. Right. right, right. Yes. I was also in I Pridgito. Yeah, she was. Oh, you also. were? Okay, yeah. I didn't see. Yeah. Yeah. I believe I directed both of those shows. Yes, I think you yeah. did. Because I, I tried to horn myself in very early in the whole. But the first uh, audiobook I did for uh, Galaxy was, I think before it was even Galaxy, uh, was typewriter in the sky? Which, That's right. And I narrated that whole book in one day, not knowing any better. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of fun. I learned a lot. It was really fun. Unfortunately, those were in the days of the abridgments. So yes, so it wasn't quite the task if you oh, were. To- but we still took a hell of a long time doing it. Uh, no <laughs> doubt, no doubt. As but long if it's- as you would take to do the full book. <laughs> But yeah, it was a bridge, so. Yes. And then Taylor, while you're only five or six by this time, you enter the scene of my world in the 2000s when you began performing in our live performances of the Irwin Hubbard Theater um, in Hollywood. I remember. In 2000? No. No, in the 2000s. Oh, it, yes. In the 2000s. Yes. yes. I know. Well, I'll, also, I remember, I think my first, you guys started my career in audiobooks, really, because my first... Um, audiobooks were the pulp stories that were directed by dad. And that was the first time I ever did audiobooks. And now I have done, like you said, over a hundred. I, that's yeah. I, a big part of what I do. She came in to play the little boys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, whenever I'm a little, at that, little yeah. English boy, a little Western boy, yeah. and it was like, ah, these eight or nine year old boys, we don't really have any. Uh, Taylor, I'll bet you can do this. And yeah. I would throw her into these situations in it, and uh, she'd always be able to do it really, really well. I'm so glad. Which is great. It. Yeah. So that, because we recorded the thing was in 2008. So, yeah. Yeah. So I wasn't fibbing. Yeah, no, I thought you meant, said 2000, and I uh, was like, hmm, 2000s. Yeah. A little early, but. Okay. <laughs> So um, I guess as actors, and this is, I want people to really know, I mean, I can be all gushy about the three of you, but I want others to be able to understand a little bit more of a, of a feeling for why I am the way I am about you. So what have been some of your favorite projects um, that the listening audience would appreciate? You can start with you, Jim, as a, as a man with a thousand voices. Well, these days I do Colonel Sanders for uh, your KFC brand commercials, so I've been doing that for a while now. It's about six or seven years. But earlier than that, I've done everything in audio that you can think of. Lots of audio books. Uh, I also did the Jib Jab animated films back in the day. This land is your land. This land is my land. I'm a Texas tiger. You're a liberal wiener. <laughs> you know, and those those went you know, viral at a time when they were, they were just inventing the word viral. I think yeah. relating to videos and stuff, and tons of animation, video games, Baldur's Gate, Code of Honor, Black Ops. Um, actually, not Code of Honor. It's Call of Duty, Black Ops. Code of Honor is actually something else. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Carry on. Very different <laughs> than God Call of editing. Duty. <laughs> Very different. Very different. Uh, Johnny Quest and Ren and Stimpy and just tons and tons of things. Um, 
So uh, yeah, I've always been just really attracted to the audio world and and radio shows and radio plays and stuff like that. So later on, you know, when I got to direct the pulps, all the L. Ron Hubbard pulp fiction, those short stories and novellas, I just had the best time and I got to work with great people. Good. And camera? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, I've done all sorts of things from, you know, voiceovers for television commercials and TV shows and, you know, um, but I love live theater so much. I mean, we did a lot of improv in New York and I love doing improv. And I think that's that's a big part of also that why I love doing the readings, the live readings, you know, because it's, it's so... Um, it's that interplay with the audience, yeah. you know, yeah. that's so wonderful. And, and I was talking to someone about this the other night, doing those live readings, because the radio plays really open up the work for the audience to have so much participation in it. They have to create the visuals, right? You know, mm-hmm. which I think is really, really fun. Um, and then working on the pulps, for sure. You know, I, I worked on a lot of the the pulps that Jim was directing a lot of the westerns and um, loved those stories so so much. Yeah. Um, and then we're working with my school. I mean, we're it's like it's my passion project: help artists. You know, um, at the acting center, we've we've really retooled how to teach acting in a new way that um, I think is really unique and very um, powerful. It doesn't result in her getting stuck in whatever character exactly. they're last playing. Yeah, and it's very liberating and very um, builds confidence. You know, builds a lot of confidence and uh, takes all that critiquing and that evaluation out of out of that uh, the arena for teaching, which I think is really really important. So right. I spend a lot of time a lot of time there and teaching and stuff like that. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. And Taylor, what was the question again? The question was, where were you on the night of the 24th? (laughs) (laughs) Do you have an alibi? (laughs) So as actors, what have been some of your favorite projects that the listening audience would appreciate? Ah, yes. Well, you know, I, uh, let's see, some projects that I was a part of. I mean. The storyboards. Yeah, I've done, I've I've been very lucky to narrate a lot of audiobooks, Mm -hmm. and I, you can find them on Audible if you search my name, and I've really loved all of them. Um, I've gotten to do some animation, which was incredible. Uh, Ask the Storybots on Netflix, which was very fun character, mm-hmm. very bright and cheerful, which I like to play. And um, I've gotten to do some commercials. I did stuff for Old Navy, which was a great project to work on, and got to uh, did one for Nike. And I've I've always loved voice stuff, and also I think that's why I've been uh, interested in music and singing. And so I've been recently performing around Hollywood at the Hotel Cafe, singing songs over there, which I really enjoy doing as well. So I'm just just creating a lot. I'm just really at the beginning. There's a lot more to come. That's great. I mean, if I start something like row, row, row your boat, oh, Jen, you could gen- I, yeah, I we could like the whole family. Life is but a dream. There we go. <laughs> and studied improv as well. So yes, and John, yes, and yes, and John. That's right. She teaches the. She was teaching the kids improv yeah, before the. Pandemic. I did. Yeah, yeah, she taught the great. kids. Years, yeah, yeah. She's a wonderful teacher. That's great. So now. Um, just so everybody knows, we just put up the episode 
of um, the latest episode of, of the podcast, which is the performance of If I Were You, which features Jim, Tamara, and Taylor, along with um, Nancy Cartwright and um, Kelly. Kelly Daniels and Neil. Neil and Javine. Yes. And RF Daly, RF Daly was, was uh, I think, narrated. And then we had um, Smurfette. Narf, Noel North. Noel North. Smith it. So that's, I mean, that was just an amazing performance, and it just rocked all the different uh, writers and artists and illustrators and uh, judges who were there. That's just their, it's one of their favorite parts of, of the workshop week for writers and illustrators of the future. So now, as um, Elwin Hover presents Writers of the Future, Volume 39. So, like I said at, at the intro, we've never done an audiobook before ourselves. We've had either Audible or some other uh, publisher record it and do the whole thing. And so, um, Maliva at the office then took the book, and, and obviously it's on a bridge, so, but she scripted it so that it, it would flow as, as a voice and put together the, we have the bios, we have the, uh, the essays from Elrin Hubbard, as well as the two contributing uh, writer and illustrator judges. So it's different than any other audiobook I've listened to because it's got, you get the bio of each of the authors, then the story, bio of author, story. You have an essay from um, a judge or Elrin Hubbard with the bio with them. So how was this doing like this? Because this is also short fiction. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I was very excited about this project. In fact, I think I've been wishing that uh, Galaxy would do this for Same. quite a while. We've, yeah. we've talked about this a lot because it's, it's just a great opportunity. We like to narrate, so all of us enjoy telling stories and, 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 the, and to tackle the challenge of, of narrating something, bringing it to life, bringing the characters to life, you know, love to play different characters. And so, yeah, this was like a dream. We each have, uh, Taylor has her own booth at her home. I have a booth here that Tamara and I could work out of. So I thought, you know, this would be a pretty simple thing. We'll just go in and knock these stories out. And uh, for me, the the fun part of, of, particularly like a collection like this anthology, is that it's all different stories by totally different people. They could go any different style. And... Um, totally different viewpoints on things so you know when reading the story i would i feel very free to go this is the mood that i think this story should be in and this is the kind of narrator that it should have and these this is the kind of characterizations and it might be completely different from the next story which Mm -hmm. you know like death and the tax man was a very humorous kind of contemporary satirical story very different from these more fantastical ones or these very bleak ones or so i felt a lot of freedom and fun in making that change. First of all, just sort of making a choice, you know, making an artistic choice. Like, this is just how I hear this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we didn't have the benefit or the hindrance of a director. (laughs) So, and and I didn't really direct uh, my my two friends here, my wife and my daughter, who are professionals on their own. Uh, As far as performance is concerned or their choices, I just, you know, engineered for Tamara. So I think we each bring to it whatever we artistically thought and hopefully communicate what the author had in mind. Good. Yourself, Emma. Yeah, Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, because these stories too, it's so, uh, they take you to another world where things are different. Um, with mine, and when I read it first all the way through, I was like, oh, this is going to be interesting to record. I mean, there's, the names are different, you know, Quiet Gate and 
constant, um, uh, ceaseless, uh, forget the other name, forget the name, but anyways, they're very unusual, evocative names. Yeah, that's the last story in the book. Yeah, the yeah. last story is the last story in the book. Um, and, um, that, so there is, it doesn't, you know, it, like when you see these words, they're not the words that you would naturally kind of flow into, oh, that's a name or that's a, you know, and the, and the, and the things that are being described are so different, you know, mm-hmm. and trying to, like Jim said, it's like trying to, trying to get that mood across that you, that you decide you think it should be and hope that it's, you know, what, yeah. what the author has in mind or is at least close to or adds to what the author has in mind. Ceaseless Charity, that was it. It's great. It's a great name. I was like, when I was reading these, I was like, these are amazing names. I love them so much. Very creative. Absolutely. And Taylor? Yeah, I mean, having been a fan of this contest for years already, this was very exciting for us. I was very excited to do this. I've read the stories from the other volumes, and they were incredible. And so it felt like such an honor to be able to read these stories. And it's true. At each story, I was so transported and embodying the viewpoints of these characters and telling this experience from their point of view. And each one was so different. And Mm -hmm. I agree. It was like, you'd look at the story and go, okay, oh, this is, this is this kind of tone and take it from that. And it varied from story to story because of the environment and the world that was created by the author it was very enjoyable, and I felt sort of like I was floating the weeks that I was recording this. And also, it was so cool to be able to meet some of these authors, which is not something that normally happens as a narrator. You don't have a lot of communication mm-hmm. with these authors, and it's uh, occasionally I have, but not often. And so it was so nice to be able to acknowledge them for their story and um, meet them and felt like, you know, you're creating something together. It is a collaborative art form and Mm -hmm. the contest is so magical. So to be able to be a part of forwarding that and supporting these artists and getting their words out there is like so cool to me. That's great. Now between all of you, you've got at least what, 200, 300 more audiobooks under your belts combined? Oh, at least. I think I've done 300. Yeah, you've so. done about 300, I think. And I've done over 100, 100 now. So. so, you know, so between four and 500 audiobooks yeah. between the three of you. Yeah. So, um, if you have an answer for it, what, what makes this project different than the other projects in terms of story? Well, when you break stories down into short stories where there are these little digestible units, you know, I, I think the fun for people that pick up a, the anthology to read it is that they can, you know, uh, they can take an hour and read one and then the next one will be completely different. And it's the same with the uh, the uh, audiobook experience, you know, you'll be able to listen to one and it's just like on to the next. It's just like serving up uh, content in a different way. And in a way, it's kind of always fresh, you know, it's... We've done uh, a lot of very lengthy books. Mm-hmm. Uh, Battlefield Earth was one. That was mm-hmm. a, it's a long experience. 47 and a half hours. And you also did Mission hours. Earth, which you will be releasing pretty soon. 120 plus hours. Wow. That's right. Your voice to God's ears. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is 
if he's this listening. This too shall come to pass. <laughs> yeah, and and a story like Battlefield Earth is like it's a bleak, long experience with a tremendous payoff at the end. But you know, that's weeks down the road. Uh, you know, and enjoyable the whole way, but it's got that that huge payoff at the end. And uh, these have you know are their own little unit, and I think it's I just think it's very lively and fresh and uh, and fun and um, digestible. I'd say. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I I just because it's true. Some, the the way the world is today, sometimes people are rushing around. They don't have all the time in the world or all the patience to mm-hmm. sit through. Or, or maybe even a, a 10 hour book seems daunting to them, but this is something that you can, you could turn on either you're listening to the audiobook or you're reading it and just read a story or listen to a story and go into that world and get something from it and then go about your day and do what you're doing and then come back to it later. It mm-hmm. is very fresh and quick and yeah, it's great. Okay, good. Yeah. Also, I think it's at because it has the essays also, which is another added bonus. You get yeah. these stories, and then you also get these wonderful essays from these professionals. It's also it's just this little for somebody that doesn't know about the writers of the future, it kind of gets you right into that world, you know. Which I, you know, going off of what Taylor said too, it's like collaborating with this group of people is so fun. It's really exciting because it's so new and these mm-hmm. are new authors and new illustrators. And to to be able to collaborate with this group is invigorating to me. To, another thing that, that makes me think of is that, you know, these are technically amateurs who participate in this contest, right? Up to the point they get published, at which point they... Suddenly, the coin flip. That's right. Yeah. They have yeah. to move the tassel yeah. to the other side of the mortarboard. Yeah. But, but when you read these stories, you, you in no way feel like, oh, well, these are fledgling writers. We know they're fledgling writers because they haven't been published by virtue of the fact that we haven't seen their names on any published work. But as far as the quality and the skill, they're the top of the top. That's yeah. why they're the winners. And it's like, well, no, out of the gate, they are professionals. Here's their first professional work. And it, it's it's pretty amazing. It's sort of like getting in on the ground floor of supporting these guys too, mm-hmm. which is like, you know, they're going to turn into what they're going to turn into, mm-hmm. but you've known, you've gone with them from the beginning of their journey in supporting them. And there's something cool about that. Yeah, we got four decades yeah. of proof that these are the writers and the illustrators, you're going to be following, you know, five, yeah. six, seven yeah. years down the road. The next award winners. Yeah, <laughs> the next ones on that. Now, there's, yeah, they are that. But going back a little bit, that's, we always say we got something for every taste because it's not like, there's not like here's this well-defined road that these guys follow mm-hmm. this trope or this type of story. There's, somebody mentioned earlier, you got mood. You got some some very somber mood. You got some uh, playful, you know, with a death and a tax man. Mm. Um, and there's hard sci-fi. There's fantasy. There's all these different things, you know. Um, and the only thing they have in common is that they tell they're the best of the best in in new talent. So, Rise of Future is not which was which was by design by Warren Hubbard. You know, it's just to give that platform for an aspiring writer and five years later the aspiring um, artist to have a chance for their creative efforts to be seen and uh, acknowledged so with that it's also interesting too that he was um 
choosing science fiction and fantasy as that genre that he was pushing forward with his contest. It wasn't Westerns. It wasn't adventure. It wasn't mystery or romance. It was science fiction and fantasy because in the beginning of Battlefield Earth, he, he referred to science fiction as the herald of possibility. And so many things, like right now we're experiencing a new, we'll see what happens with AI, with chat GPT, you know, with storytelling, with art, you know, where's it going to go? and its impact, but these are the voices that are gonna keep us, I think, on you, the human side of life because mm -hmm. there's nothing like it out there. They've done their own thing. So again, you've done classics all the way up to um, current you know, um, stories. So any particular, you know, because I know you guys have probably already recorded another 20 audiobooks since you recorded this one, but, any particular thing stand outs for you on on the type of story or the type of of mood that this thing sets and how it how it um opposes another mood that's really you know flighty or very you know chipper well what you said about uh the future and the the um chat gpt kind of revolution and uh i know it it makes some of us uh, in the arts quiver a little bit to think about the possibilities of yet more of our territory being <laughs> taken away from us by automation. But I think your your contest and the anthology, its strength lies in its uniqueness and in the uniqueness of viewpoint, uh, in expression, and in the choices of stories to tell, which is something that is not likely to be replaced by automation because automation depends perforce on some sort of earlier iteration of something. And it's, it's sort of gleaning information from stuff that's already been done before. Right. And whereas human being authors do that too, we, we take things and combine them in new ways, but we do them, you know, uniquely, I think, and, and, uh, and not mechanistically. So all these stories that I read were each one, its own world, its own universe, uh, and and it wasn't like you know the contest is not developed into being like an academy where everything has to kind of fit into certain boundaries. Right. It's all I mean if if it if the boundary that it fits into is that it's sort of boundless and everything is sort of on its own and uh, uh, the individuality of the writer is fostered. That's that's its brand, and so that's that's pretty automation proof. I think. Yeah, it's true. It's like um, that individuality and that expression and because these are i mean science fiction in particular i think has been what's what pushes a culture forward these mm -hmm. are the things that you know you you hear them they're written about and then all of a sudden they're there you know these are the movers and shakers of the the new world that's coming up you know these and and to have a group of people that have put these ideas together and created universes and possibilities and things that might happen in the future is very important. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, um, it's to nurture that kind of environment and to help that kind of environment for people to create a new world or create the future that we want to have and have it be, you know, it's with varieties of different viewpoints. You know, I think mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's this contest delivers that in spades. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Any thoughts on that, Taylor? Yeah, I mean, I I do think that I oh, it just making made me think of how much L. Ron Hubbard supported and appreciated artists, 
And so this contest and this these volumes that are being made and created by these artists, they are what the world needs. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I mean, I found myself when I was reading them, you have this amazing story that's told and it's maybe has fantasy, it's sci-fi, it's, but then there's so many elements that are so real to me and make me think about things and make me like, I see hints of that in society today, but there's like something expanded on that. So I can see how it's true. You can't get that from, you can't get new ideas from an AI type thing. I think like you said, I tend to agree with that right now. I mean, maybe it's going to change because science fiction writers have been envisioning, you know, Hal's been around for a while, you know, since (laughs) 2001 a space odyssey with Stanley, Stanley Kubrick's movie. But I still think there's that other element, you know, that life spark, the, you know, that, that essence that creates and there's no such essence in, in a computer. Any created has or ability to create is what is earlier or previously been imbued into it. And therefore the actual creative spark is outside of that parameter of that right. computer. Yeah. So what you said is absolutely correct. Now I am not Gen Z. <laughs> I'll take a picture with you and maybe they'll think, wow, he's pretty cool. So Especially you if mean you run lit. it through chat at the GPT. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so um, I know why um, us older folks, and you know, I've, I've got hooked on to reading science fiction when I was um, college. You know, I was the college age when I got into that, and I enjoyed. Uh, this was before Battlefield Earth was written, which was the first one that I was really introduced to. Owen Hubbard's writing on, but. Um, e. e. Doc Smith wrote the Lensman series. I got totally enamored with the genre of of science fiction. So, as you're Gen Z, right? Or are you still? A, are you millennial? I'm actually a millennial. All right. Yeah. Well, but I study Gen Z. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> For the future. She's a Gen the Z future. hobbyist. <laughs> <laughs> so she goes out with her binoculars. It's very exciting. <laughs> A little book, oh little book. <laughs> so she'll feed them in the park sometimes. It's, it's very unexpected. <laughs> so, what makes? Because I know what I like in science fiction and fantasy. Yeah. But what? What's the appeal to you? Like, okay, then as in a millennial, what's an appeal? What's the appeal to you for? Because I know you're already a fan of science fiction and fantasy. But what's the appeal to? Um, right as the future to you that might also then be a similar appeal to other millennials. I would and say and millennial lookalikes that are actually right, Gen Z. Gen Z right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would say it's fascinating because it's it's sort of like it is creating the future. So if you continue to immerse yourself in science fiction, even a little bit, you sort of are gonna you're gonna gonna have an insight into the future. Mm-hmm. which I think is a good thing. It's good to think about the future. And I don't know that people think about the future enough, mm. actually. The present Correct. is very consuming, or the past, it's very consuming. And a lot of stories talk about the past, and a lot of stories are about present time. But there's something uh, 
hopeful about stories that have to do with the future and things to come and evolutions to come and changes to come. And so I think, I guess, yeah, to sum it up, it's like, it's hopeful. Good. And that's important for society. Yeah. It's and for millennials, hashtag millennials, hashtag Gen Z. <laughs> <laughs> now, I prefer Octotherp. <laughs> So, <laughs> what's your relationship to a Gen X? I don't even know what Gen X is. Okay, what's like, your what, what, <laughs> I was like? What soap do I use? <laughs> I use Gen X on my that teeth and Gen on X. my curtains. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Is that his generation? Okay, so Emily is is Gen X. <laughs> okay, good. Oh as long as we don't have to get tattoos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm I'm the generation where they just. First invented um, generations. Did they start really? Did they start awfully late in the alphabet for this whole categorization? Well, the new ones, the youngest are now Gen A. Are they? Okay, it's back to A now. It's back to A. They're up to I think Gen A is up to like twelve years old now. Okay. Oh wow. Yeah. Good. Well, one more label. So Roxy's a Gen A. Huh. Huh. All right. So I'll claim the high end of the spectrum. When I was a kid. When I was uh, whatever Gen, you know, four point <laughs> negative eighty. I I don't know. I we we read science fiction when I was in sixth grade, seventh grade. I read Ray Bradbury stories, Martian mm -hmm. Chronicles, uh, wonderful, wonderful tales. And um, gosh, before then, Jules Verne. You know, the, the really really classic, mm -hmm. yeah. old old man of science fiction. And uh, and watched science fiction movies. I remember two thousand and one when two thousand one Space Odyssey came out. And I just watched it again. Uh, actually, I watched that movie again on the airplane going to uh, uh, Chicago. And I watched it with the sound off because I've been doing a lot of research about 2001. And uh, I watched the whole movie with the sound off. And I, I remembered because I was probably like nine or 10 seeing that movie. And it just blew my head off. We didn't know what it was. You know, it takes you decades to, to find yeah. out what that was. Just to figure it out. Huge impact. I'm, I'm no, so, I'm, I've got, I have no idea. I I got another. It's so poetic. You can be whatever the hell you want it to be about. Yeah, which is great. But the, the achievement of it was just yeah. staggering. And I, I I can't imagine what grownups at the time must have thought. It just it's just such yeah. a shocker. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know how we start talking about that. But I, that's my experience with science fiction prior to, you know, being a grown up and as a kid. But Ray Bradbury was awesome. Yeah, we got photos of him in our mm. Rising yeah. Future Lounge at some of the earlier. Um, awards galas, yeah, with other science fiction greats. Yeah, him and he he Heinlein too was just. Uh, I loved Heinlein. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and uh, for me as a kid, it was I loved the the television shows, The Outer Limits. You know, The Twilight Lost Zone, in Lost in Space. Mm -hmm. I was just fascinated by all of those television shows, and that was like it was hard to do all those effects back then, you know. <laughs> and um, but it was just it captivated your imagination. You know, it was just like, oh, wow, this is where we're going. You know, mm -hmm. just like going to Disneyland and seeing, you know, all the things that they had, the world, you know, future, you know, what was going to be in the future. It was just like, it, like Taylor said, it was like, it was hope. It was like, oh, we're growing, we're changing, we're evolving, we're pushing forward as a, as, as a species, as, you know, mm -hmm. also that... It's not just us here. Hello. There are a lot of space out there. Yeah. You know, oh, that's it's crazy like, talk, camera. <laughs> that's a lunatic. Lot of space out there. 
You know, just the possibilities are just endless. For sure. It's fantastic. Well, now, this, even the government has admitted that, so I guess we're... <laughs> yeah, they're definitely into it now. Yes, they're definitely... The, uh, the flying sauces out of the bag. Yeah. <laughs> so one thing that, for you, it's just... Maybe it's, it's given that this is just a reality, but the, the subject of imagination. And imagination is something that has been seriously trounced on, and you see the more that everything's filled in by creative artists say, this is what this person looks like. This is what that person, this is what that scene is. There's to me, and I at least I really like it. And I like to think that other, that maybe it's a nascent skill that can be developed, which I think audiobooks, if not reading can, you know, reading the, the printed word uh, can help develop. But tell me about that. Cause you're, you guys just like in a moment, you're just off in, any of a thousand different voices, all of your improv, I can say, boo, and you can go like any of 50 different directions. And I've seen Taylor, you with your dad on different, doing the improv skits that you do, but it's imagination, you know, the ability to do that. So the value of audiobooks to the imagination, any thoughts? Definitely. Well, I agree that it's one of those interactive art forms like like radio and what people always loved about old radio, you know, is that uh, they could fill in the scenes and the costumes and the characters and everything. And you could have four actors playing 50 actors, uh, 50 characters. And it was it was fine because uh, and, and, and what that does for an audience is that it immediately kind of in a tricky way engages them and gets them to participate in the art form. Yeah. And which is actually much more pleasurable for them when everything is all done for us and presented for us. Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with Marvel films, but they leave very little to the imagination. Let's mm -hmm. say uh, if you appreciate those characters and those storylines, then it's perfect for you. If you wanted to do a little bit of contributing, contributing to that yourself, I don't know where you get an edge in. Uh, yeah. Cause it makes you 100% audience. Yeah. You're an audience. You're there to consume and you know, the content. So so I love those interactive art forms where it's not all supplied. It brings it closer to being fine art, uh, as we know. And um, so, and also as an actor too, I I like to play characters that I would never be cast for in a live action sort of art form, you know, television or movies. Yeah. I I'm not going to play. That's why I sort of resist and and resent the effect uh, when cultural entities say well you know you have to play this color character and you must never play this gender or not this from color pittsburgh or you age. can't play someone from pittsburgh <laughs> that's right <laughs> and you know i just think oh come on that's what actors got into the business to do we want to uh, we're not trying to make fun of as many people as possible we're trying to experience as many viewpoints as possible and share those viewpoints with other people that's the game it isn't to degrade or, or you know make people look bad so um, One of the best things at our event, I mean, I realize I'm just taking you off on a, a tangent I, here, I but like tangents. At, at the event, uh, when you when you were presenting, you know, with the mm. audience that you had here mm -hmm. who are total geeks and nerds, mm -hmm. you know, and there was absolutely no delay in understanding what you were doing there, <laughs> <laughs> including um, the keynote speaker was just like, that rocks because he, he knows that person. Oh, yes. Yes, I, yes, I did my Patrick Stewart for him, and I, you know, I know that people love to hear Patrick Stewart's voice, and that I do it rather well at this point. And the older I get, strangely, the better I get at it. 
So and and he's so exactly. And the more I you look like at him, him exactly. The more I squint, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so I knew that that would go over really big with that crowd. So I drew that out really quickly, and they had a good time. Yeah, because you said it was pick. I said, I said, I said, you know, as an impressionist, uh, uh, I have so many voices at my disposal. For an event like this, people say, you know, is it hard to pick just one? And I go, pick hard, pick card, pick card. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing simpler. <laughs> it was great, and people. That was one of those things that I everybody reacted. The, <laughs> <laughs> the best ideas of all. <laughs> I wanted to get in and out really quick because I didn't want to interrupt the flow of your events. Yeah, yeah, it was good. Quick. So, Tamara, your your thoughts then on this thing on the imagination aspect? Yeah, ad- imagination. I mean, it's, I'm where I'm all over that in my school too. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah, like we have a whole. It's this big part of of how we teach, and I, we have a whole intensive that is del- that's specifically to enhance that aspect of a person's abilities, you know? And so we that's what I think it's all about. And it's like, it's so true. I think more and more even, I mean, even if you look at television over the years, it's gotten more literal, literal, like just yeah. showing you everything. You don't need to see everything, you know? Because um, then you're, you just end up being the spectator and you're not participating. You're not engaged in it. You're just being, you know... And to me, that's so boring. Yeah. <laughs> so boring. So I I read at night before I go to bed, you know. I read because I love that interaction. And yeah. you, you're, my imagination starts to go and you picture the places and how the people look and what they're doing. And I think the audiobook world is so much a part of that i mean it's it you're hearing it and you're you know you're filling in all all the rest of it it's so important i think um just as as a skill to anybody but especially an artist but but really anybody you know their imagination yeah there's a kind of a a I think there's an agreement out there, just like there's a pervasive agreement that, well, you know, some people are funny and some people just aren't. And while we can think of examples of that, but but it's not really true. It's not a genetic thing. You know, it's not something that's just cast in, in stone. Uh, and the same with imagination. It's not like, well, you know, some people have great imagination, some people don't. Well, some people are more practiced in it, for sure. Mm-hmm. And maybe some people insist on being more imaginative than other people. But anybody can develop that skill. I think the more that you just kind of consume uh, pre-digested stuff or formulaic stuff, you, your imaginative skills go really flaccid. It's just like not exercising that muscle. Yeah, and so now, Taylor, as a... Um it's a failed Jane Z. Uh-huh. So <laughs> tell me what you think about. Yes. Yeah. Well, you guys have said a lot of things that I was thinking. It's true. It is a muscle and it's true. It's, it's not, it is for artists, but it goes so beyond that because if you think about what the imagination is used for, it's pretty much everything. It's making decisions, it's solving problems or coming up with plans or planning your life or making art. It could be so many things. And having, being my age, I would say I've definitely experienced a lot of laziness and not imagining and being a spectator. And I've had lots of friends who have been that way. And it's easy to fall into that in this culture, actually, Mm -hmm. because First of all, there are a, there's a large group of people who are creating a lot. It's a funny thing because there's people creating a bunch of stuff and there's a lot of content that needs to be consumed by somebody. 
And then if you find yourself on that side of just only consuming, I've noticed myself personally, like my imagination muscle just kind of gets weaker, weaker, weaker. And you're trying to keep up with all this content and all this other people's creativity, other people's imagination, but there's it's really important not to let that muscle go weak and to keep that balance there, I think, because yeah. we are going to inflow things from the environment. Of course, it's inevitable, but it's important to maintain our creativity in whatever way that is, whether it's cooking or, you know, making the plans for somebody or whatever it is, painting, art, like anything. But the imagination is important for survival. Absolutely. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not going to ask which was your favorite story. I, it'd be easy to ask you both who's your favorite child. Um, that would be, I'd be safe on doing that. Neighbor's kid is pretty wonderful. <laughs> what the heck? But so without getting into that, um, on the aspect of imagination, because I'm always fascinated at all the different types of stories. I mean, I've been doing this now for almost four decades. Mm. I came on board on volume two of Writers of the Future. Wow. So I've been reading them for a long time, and I'm, I'm always— It was in Sanskrit, wasn't it? Yeah, they just invented Sanskrit. So, <laughs> um, and it's, it's just—I'm always amazed at the freshness and, and new ways of coming up with different ideas, but I'm just— I'm always just blown away by the imagination. Sometimes it is that here's postulating a a future that's going to be um, much better. You've got the dystopian, which the future is like you got some problems there, which are like a warning sign. Like if we don't do something, here's something that could happen. So, but it still has that hook on the end. Like, do you really want this future? So let's take a look at this. It's all imagination, you know. So anything that that you went away with after recording any of these stories um, that particularly captured your imagination, like, wow, how'd they do that? How'd they think of that? Because I can, I have so many different myself, you know, points when I proofread it and then listening to your renditions of it, like, wow, how'd they do that? Mm-hmm. One of the stories I read had to do with uh, being able to observe distant uh, civilizations and different planets uh, from a great, great distance across space, and the pros and cons of that, and it, it, you know, it, it becomes a thing where it's an entertainment source to look in on different cultures and uh, different alien civilizations, and then it becomes a little bit something a little bit more than entertaining when a person observes a culture that is about to be destroyed by an asteroid and actually makes a connection with a living being, you know, millions of light years away. And what that meant, and I just have never gone there in my thinking. I've never in my imagination had that concept. And so I think that's a wonderful concept to explore. You did it very capably. And uh, it's the fall of Credenda M. uh, The fall of Credenda M was the name of the story. Yeah, that's right. Credendra M was the name of the planet that they looked right. in on, and uh, uh, with these super high-powered telescopes or some or drones or something. And uh, anyway, that that it gives you a different point of view. Like, ah, oh, I never would have thought of that. That's really interesting. It's not like all science fiction. That's pure science fiction. It's not so far out of the realm of possibility that it couldn't at some point be true, 
or right. some version of it. So I think it's very valuable to to have that kind of viewpoint. Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think all these viewpoints are very valid. It's like that story that I read, The Last History. It's like, I think it's so pertinent actually now in present time of it's important to know your history. You know, like it's important for us to know the history of our country, you know? And, but how do you use that history to create a brighter future? Right. You know, don't learn from it, you know? And because um, I think that's something that's missing sorely right, right now. Sometimes a problem they tend to want to be able to erase it or ban exactly. it. Exactly. Instead of learning from it. Learn from it. And um, I think it's a very potent, you know, idea, you know, that is universal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah, really, really strong. And, you know, using it for creating the future, you know? Absolutely. I thought all the ideas all the stories were so unique and you could tell that there's this uninhibitedness to the artists that created these stories, which I'm sure also is kind of nurtured by the contest itself too, by being able to just have an avenue to send your works Mm -hmm. to where you're like, you can come up with any idea that you want and tell these stories and, go with like I that's one thing I feel like is very important with the imagination like we were talking too is if you have these walls there or like you know certain ideas that you have to fit into but the whole contest encourages you to think outside of that box right. which is it's sort of like then you're forced to be like okay well well I thought of this this makes no sense maybe. And then they write something and then it turns into this beautiful message. And it's like this world that never existed before. So it's very uninhibited, which I think is very cool. Yeah. One thing about writers of the future, which was again, brilliant how Ellen Hubbard originally set it up. You've got these people that have been writing and I mean, one of the one of the people that the awards have been entering for 12 years. Um, we've had people been entering for like, 30 years before they finally win. And and it's such an emotional experience for them, which makes the event so much fun and so rewarding. And a few people that come back constantly, you know, major celebrities like to come back because it's unlike any other awards event in Hollywood. But this, these people that win the writers and artists, they don't, they're not constrained by this is my style or this is my type of story. They are, it's, it's brand new, it's fresh. You know, you take some major name, you know, you expect a certain type of story with this author. Mm-hmm. They don't have that. So they, they don't, they're not having like, okay, I need to write this type of a story. It's like, ta-da, here I am. Yeah, my style, yeah. this is my style. This, yeah, yeah. This, is, this is me, yeah. and this is a new me, and we That's want to Robert, celebrate that. Robert Sawyer was talking yeah. about. Yeah, you know, this, exactly. Uh, don't brand yourself necessarily. There could be strength in the fact that you're unpredictable and mm-hmm. you're a Swiss army knife. And Especially for AI. <laughs> yeah, protect yourself by being <laughs> as unique as you can be. Yeah, so that, that, the, the point of this thing then is when you read, or in this case, and we're talking about listen to this audiobook. It's not like anything you've ever read or listened to before. It's mm-hmm. all fresh voices. You even say, oh, yeah, it's time travel. Oh, yeah, it's mm-hmm. 
No, it's not mm-hmm. like a time travel you've ever mm-hmm. read or listened to before. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Very unique. Yeah, there's a couple of time travel stories in there. You know, the one where it's the Jewish heritage going yeah, back. A trickle in trickle in time. A trickle in time, yeah. Yeah, which was just Elaine Midko was yeah. just like Amazing. Very clever what she yeah. did on that. But there's the other one too where in present time UK where Somebody's going to come and set off and explode a bomb that's going to destroy a great part of London, and they go back through time travel to a thousand years earlier to get rid of that line that's going to result in eventually, yeah. you know, wow. going back to this medieval time. And that goes back to Ray Bradbury, you know. That, <laughs> yeah. That's the, uh, the butterfly effect, but yeah. in a, with a different yeah. twist on it. Yeah. Yeah. So all these things have that. So any other thoughts about it? Because I want people to really know that when you get this audiobook narrated by the three of you, it's not like something they've ever read or listened to before. No, it's a pure adventure. And each story will take you somewhere else completely different. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Different viewpoints, different places, different everything. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a box of candy. <laughs> since, I loved it because since some of them are first-person narratives, and so I'd create a character who was the guy that was reading this story, and mm. others I was delighted to find that it was a kind of a British story and needed a little gravitas and some of that wonderful thing that the British narrators give to it. So I felt very free in bringing that kind of effect to it. So they're going to sound different too. Yeah. Some yeah. of them will sound like dogs barking in the distance. <laughs> That's Friday. <laughs> That's what happens when you come to our house. <laughs> yes, yes. So now on, um, like on these stories and in the fact that it's guaranteed not to be anything like you've ever listened to before, any other um, thoughts about why somebody should actually listen to this audiobook? Well, if you drive and you find you don't have a lot of time to read, I would suggest getting this audiobook because you can just pop it on your radio and listen while you go places, and you'll probably have time to listen. You'll get through these stories. <laughs> I see a lot of people listening at the gym. Yeah. Uh, we're multitasking more and more these days. The other thing, too, about audiobooks is kind of a hidden benefit that I realized a few years ago was that audiobooks, uh, by virtue of the fact that they are a writer's medium, preserve the language uh, of well, the English language in this case. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the English language has a lot of nuances and a lot of differentiations and all these different words. They're not all lost to everybody. They're not all, you know, just academic and, and highfalutin. But we get used to hearing a certain set of words in the culture from the news and from people that are talking and from our friends, obviously. And writers pull out... A, a delicious, precise, perfect word for things that maybe is one you go, oh, I haven't heard that word for a while. Mm-hmm. That's really the right word to use in this case. Because there's always, that was the thing I respect a lot about Hubbard after I re- directed so much of Hubbard's work is that he <laughs> always knew which particular word to use. And he mm-hmm. had a massive vocabulary. So audiobooks help to reacquaint the listener with the nuances of the language. And, may, and you know, I think it makes people's vocabularies better, at least for listening. Sure, it does. Yeah. yeah. Also, I think it's fun even, because I do this sometimes with television, 
it's fun to read a book and then see the show that they did or mm -hmm. vice versa. Mm -hmm. You know, it gives you almost two perspectives of the same work, yeah. which can be very interesting, you mm -hmm. know, because obviously the, the narrators add their own unique take to the story. And and then you also have the the story as itself. So there's it's it's it can it can be enjoyed both ways. Yeah, exactly. Equally. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> I answered first. I just like looking at you. <laughs> I already answered this question. Your <laughs> answer was insufficient. Uh, Would you? But mind? let me give you my Gen Z answer. Gen Z answer. Because <laughs> it's lit, man. <laughs> so fire. Okay, good. All right, now we're speaking to everybody. <laughs> That's now. right. Exactly. The boomers all the way down. Uh -huh. So, um, just so anybody listening is to know, this audiobook is available, obviously, from Galaxy Press. We're setting up so you can actually buy it from us. But also, it's going to be available on Audible and wherever you get your audiobooks. So, you can, if you buy your stuff from uh, Barnes & Noble or Books A Million, be able to get all these different platforms to um, where you get your audiobooks to listen to them. And one last thing, too, on audiobooks, when you got short fiction, there's an added event, and you get the whole story arc, the whole beginning, change, and end in a sitting. You don't have to go through. And if, if you got a very busy schedule and just you appreciate being able to do that, absolutely. If you um, aren't much of a reader and just you have trouble being able to appreciate a long book, this is something for you. And... If you're looking to discover new voices in science fiction and fantasy, this is the place to go. These are the people you will be reading and or listening to in just a few years down the road. Several of them already have book projects. The judges are taking them under their wings to be able to help them, get, help them launch their careers. You know, you're not going to have to wait very long um, with the advent now of self-publishing and any publishing, these guys are going to be out there in front of you in no time at all. And this this introduces you to them, which is amazing. And to have this platform with Jim, Tamara, and Taylor presenting this work to you is something that I think is going to be uh, a real treat for you to listen to. So as we're down to our last couple of minutes, any last things, last comments you can uh, make? Every year, it's an adventure, these books. Like, every year, they're so different. They're just, it's, they're really fun to read because you never know what the next story is going to be. It's just always exciting. Yeah, this was so fun. So fun to narrate. So fun to do this with my parents. And I'm very excited for you all to listen. Yeah. And we can't wait to narrate the 40th yeah. anniversary yeah. anthology. Should Absolutely. we get lucky enough to do that? Yeah, right. <laughs> Should you get lucky enough? You're like the first writer refusal. All right. Well, thank you all three very much. Thank you. Thank you, John. And thank you for listening. Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We've also been syndicated on the United Public Radio Network where you can find these podcasts as well. Writers of the Future series can be purchased wherever books are sold in the U.S., Canada, the UK, Australia, and South Africa, and available everywhere via Amazon.com. We are especially appreciative of our sponsor, Carnation, for supporting this podcast. Carnation has been making delicious milk products for over a century and is still going strong. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by L. Ron Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. 
It is free to enter and open to amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much, Jim, Tamara, and Taylor. You betcha. Yep. We Meskimans, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Pleasure. Great.